Hello, welcome to Spotlight, a warm haze of creative luminosity. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. This evening, we hear from Brighton-based Manx poet Simon Madrill as he launches his latest poetry pamphlet, Isle of Sin. Hear about the search for the new Manx Youth Bard. And a bunch of amateurs prepare to take to the stage. Remember, do get in touch with any creative artistic endeavours you may be involved in planning, hoping to create or would really like to put in the spotlight, be they poetic, visual, theatrical, musical, literary, ceramics, textiles, mime. Just email me, spotlight at maxradio.com, or if you prefer, Howard Kane at maxradio.com. Well, it's all about the poetry this evening. We'll hear from the self-proclaimed queer Manx poet Simon Madrill in a few minutes about his latest publication. But first, it's only a matter of days now before the new Manx Youth Pod is announced. That's the successor to the wonderful Eva Petrova, of course, whose poetry we've enjoyed on a regular basis here on Spotlight for the last few years. And thank you very much to her. I'm sure we'll hear from Eva in years to come. Now, applications to be put forward for consideration for the new Manx Youth Bard have now closed ahead of the final event to announce the new Bardic position, which is happening this very weekend. To find out more about how it all takes place, I rounded up event organiser Bridge Carter, former Manx Youth Bard Annie Kizik, and current Bard Michael Manning, and Bridge began by explaining how they decided to separate the events for the two Bardic positions on the island. We do the, the Manx Bard in August and the children, it's usually around March, uh, February, March, end of February, beginning of March time. Hmm. And the idea is to sort of encourage people, <clears throat> I suppose, to get into poetry then at a at a younger age. I know some children take to it like a duck to water and for others it's a bit of a, a mystic art and something that you, you maybe come to appreciate in later life. Yeah, it's it's a good platform to build up their confidence when they're young, I think like public speaking and things like that. And to it's a platform to sort of express themselves. So I think it's a good start, a good time time to start. And we do have two bars here. When, when did you come to poetry, Annie? You, you seem to have been writing for as long as I can remember. Oh, it just feels like that. <laughs> quite uh, quite recently, really. Probably about five or six years ago. Really? Recent yes. as that? Yeah. I, yeah. So um, I don't think I wrote any as a, a child, apart from one in Mrs Clark's class when I was 13, <laughs> for which I got nine plus out of ten, which never happened. <laughs> And that was a one-off. So was it a progression from the music for you? Because you've certainly done music for a long time. And you've done yes. the choir as well and the singing. I think the same energy mm. and the need to create and do things yourself um, it seems to come from the same place, at least for me. It's uh, an outlet for something. I don't entirely know what it is, but it's, it's, it's necessary. And I do think it, and I'm not talking about me here particularly, but it does apply. Um, I think it's very helpful for your health really your mental mm. health mm. to be able to uh, be able to think about things to express them to let them go perhaps keep them to yourself or perhaps um share them with others and i think uh, lots of lots of people have lots of young people as well have have um, mentioned that certainly so i think the youth bard is um is a great idea what about you, Michael? Are you a lifelong writer or do you come to writing in poetry later in life? Yeah, do you know, I can't really remember when I started writing poetry, but then I can't really remember much about what happened past kind of last week, really. <laughs> so 
It was back there somewhere. I mean, I, I think I've had a lifelong love of language. Yeah. And, and I remember from, from an early age would be immersed in, in books and, and language and everything. And I think I probably turned to writing poetry, as Annie said, as a, a mode of expression, probably during adolescence. And um, none of that poetry would be worth sharing with anyone necessarily. <laughs> but uh, but certainly f for me, um, the, it's the language and the emotion and, and how that comes together in sort of imagery and expression that's that's always been really powerful. And I think, you know, everybody just loves language. I mean, you go, I've got two young boys, you go into the libraries and there's so many of the children's books are all about rhymes and the rhythm of language. It's just a beautiful thing. And I think the more you can sew that in and enjoy that from as young an age as possible, I just think that enriches you and people you share it with. Totally. And, and again, as Annie was saying, maybe you, you were sort of rather uh, sort of uh, scathing of your early attempts at poetry. However, as Annie says, it, it's a great outlet, isn't it? Even if you don't share it with anyone, even if it never sees the light of day again, if you can put down your sort of get rid of your angst, get rid of any you know, pent up sort of anger or whatever the case may be, put it down into creative use like a poem. It's it's a way of dissipating it, isn't it? It is. And it's, uh, and it's a way of clarifying, I think, what you're feeling and what you're thinking about things so it's a great it's not just a, a sort of a, a splurging expression because it involves you know thinking and shaping words on a page and how that sounds and, and the play of language and so I think that helps you sort of think through things certainly even for me today when I'm writing a poem and when I'm composing it it helps me clarify what I am thinking and what I am feeling even if I've started with a particular emotion or a particular image so I think it's a, it is a lovely healthy thing to do. So here we are then, uh, coming up to March time. So we're coming to the time when we are looking for the next youth Manx Bard or Manx Youth Bard. I'm not quite sure which yeah. way to put it. Manx, Manx Youth, youth Bard. Bard. Manx Youth Bard. I'll get it right way around. The next Manx Youth Bard to <coughs> succeed the the wonderful uh, Eva Petrova, who's been in the role for the last 12 months. So what happens and uh, when's it going to happen? What happens first? How does, how does the process of choosing the next Youth Bard actually take uh, take place? So we get all the applications in by the end of the month. Um, then they all go to the judges, a select committee of judges. Then we'll narrow them down. Then they will narrow them down to the best, usually the last, the best three. Best of the, yeah, best three, isn't it? I think mm -hmm. we usually come to. So far. So we cut it down as much as we can. Um, and then the bards themselves judge those three. And uh, that gets judged on the same day as they get inaugurated. Yes, which this year is the... Third of March. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The final decision to actually choose the youth bard is that is that in a performance setting? It's there's two parts to it. Um, we would normally ask the, or so far we've we've asked um, people who've got through to that stage, mm. in a fairly informal setting, um, to just read one of their poems um, to the the panel. That's away from the public at that point and have a little chat to them about do they write a lot what what was their motivation and we get an idea of how confident and you know what sort of people we're dealing with there um and then they they sort of disappear for a short period and then the judges will confer and then um we will announce who is the bard it's all, the the judging and the inauguration happen um on the same on the, the same event so the public 
uh, family or whatever will be waiting outside really and then um, announce who's won and they will read something presumably the thing they've just read um, to us uh, we'll say a little bit about why and there's a little bit of a ceremony and we have readings from various bards sometimes youth bards we can get them back from university or whatever um, we will have usually one or two maybe more of the adult bards to do a poem nothing too long and then um, a lot of well, we have photographs and little ceremony mm. and of course they get to wear the rather exciting robes the bardic robes indeed yeah. and the staff yes <laughs> the staff looks even better I like it, the under yes staff. yes absolutely yeah. what do you actually look for then when you're looking for a bard is it as you say confidence is it creativity is it magic with words a mixture of all these things I think it's all of the above, Howard. Um, obviously, if you are representing an organisation, uh, you will be asked to come and read and perform in various settings. So um, having a, a, a degree of performance skill is, is certainly something we would we would expect. It would be difficult if, if, if you were didn't want to read aloud mm. I think um, but that's only part of part of the thing we will look at it um, I think quite freshly if we feel that somebody is saying something important or saying in particular the magic of words will always be a factor I'm sure there's no set script from our point of view in the same way you know, nobody would agree on what exactly makes a good poem. So we'll, we'll come together and share ideas and generally we, we find over the years that there's you know, high degree of agreement amongst the judges, even though we might all come from different backgrounds and expectations as to what what is particularly successful. So, yeah, lots of things go to um, inform who we, who and how and what we decide. And the performance aspect, I suppose, had you done much performance before, Michael? Because it is, as, you, as Annie was saying, the role I suppose you are expected to perform, and yet... And yet, with poetry for some people, it's, it's a case of they might not be performers. They might like writing, they might like reading poetry, not necessarily performing. It. Absolutely. And um, I mean, I was one of the astonishments about getting selected as the, the, the bard last summer was the fact that I've, I've never performed or shared my poetry publicly prior to that at all. I mean, I've, I've quite enjoyed public speaking in various different settings um, through, through most of my life. Um, but I still get very nervous about public performance. I mean, I love public performance. And there is nothing as wonderful as sharing something you've written in a room full of people and, and, and seeing the power that those words have um, in affecting people and inspiring people and, uh, and making people think. And so um, the public performance aspect of things is always a bit nerve wracking for me, but it is also something that I really love. And did you enjoy the performance aspect with you, Mubar, Danny? Yes. Yeah, I thought you might somehow. <laughs> it's funny, but, you know, I am a very nervous person and, and sometimes that can actually help, I think. It gives you, you know, a sort of intensity mm. to what you do. Um, and I, I think, it, you know, it doesn't help. It, it, there isn't a, a type of person who you could expect to perform well or not. I think all kinds of people, often the very quiet introverts are, are, are the people who do particularly well in, the, in these sorts of settings. Have you been surprised at the, the standard of poetry over the bards since the inception of the youth bard? Yes, um, we've had four four youth bards now. They've mm. all been very different, uh, different ages too. You know, we've had quite young um, young people when they 
relatively speaking, mm. you know, nearer 13 or 14, uh, different sorts of poetry, very different uh, styles, different subject matters. Um, some people with interest in, I suppose, folklore or history. And that, um, and then you've got people looking quite deeply into aspects of, of uh, contemporary life. Um, all the poets that we've had from Holly McRae, who was our first um, youth bard, wasn't she? And then we've had Sander Shirtliff. Mm -hmm. And then we had Brintha, um, who was, I think, produced poems that were of great depth and um, sophistication um, and really got involved. And then we've had Eva, who sort of follows through in that tradition. Um, written work looked good for from all of them, but and performance styles were good as well, but in very different ways. So I think we've had a we've been very fortunate, a very high standard indeed. And well, they work well with each with the bards as hmm. well. Sort yeah. of um, each bard takes on uh, sort of like a, a mentor mentor Almost sort of role. informally yeah. they've encouraged you know the one has encouraged the next mm. on on the line which is a bit like it is with the, with the adults too i think we can um tell people what it's really like yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah it's we've been lucky i think and we'll hopefully hear more from the Youth Manx Bard event next week and we will most certainly be asking the new Manx Youth Bard themselves whoever he or she may be to come and perform here on Spotlight through 2023. Spotlight, brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Questions of gender identity and sexual education have been somewhat to the fore in Manx news of late, and as is always the case in an era where individuals can drive news agendas courtesy of social media, and with the words sex, gender and young people all cropping up in the same sentence, it's been rather prominent in the news feeds of larger off-island organisations as well. So it's perhaps fitting that Manx poet Simon Madrill has a new pamphlet of work coming out at the end of the month. Brighton-based Simon describes himself as a queer Manx poet thriving with HIV and his latest collection of Isle of Sin embodies stirring and, as he puts it, unapologetic poems that circle the queer history of the Isle of Man with a particular celebration and lament for the life of Manx actor Dursley McClendon, whose life was an inspiration for the Channel 4 drama It's a Sin, which was such a success. I caught up with Simon from his home in the environs of a sunny Brighton and began by asking him about the inspiration behind this latest collection. It's a subject I've been um, thinking about for, for, for quite a long time, for obvious reasons, I guess. I mean, it was a, sub it was a couple of poems in um, my debut pamphlet, Throat Bone, and with there being the 30th anniversary of the partial legalisation of sex between men. That, of course, prompted me to, to write some more about it. I've actually been supported by Culture Vanning to write a, another Manx pamphlet. And what happened during that process was I created so many, if you like, more traditional Manx poems, but also these poems as well. And with It's a Sin coming about and the, the greater awareness of Dursley McLinden, I ended up with a, a whole bunch of poems around queer Manx history and around a celebration of his life that I then basically found a, a, a publisher to to pull those together. And I think it's important to to document history and for you know those lesser told stories to be to be retained and kept because um, they have value. 
You mentioned Dursley McClendon there. Now, a lot of people will obviously know the name. Just tell us a little bit more about Dursley for those who perhaps who aren't so familiar with him. Yeah, well, Dursley was a, um, an actor, a singer, even a, even a um, magic circle magician. He was actually born six months before me in, um, in, in Douglas in 1965. And unfortunately, he was one of the earlier people who succumbed to HIV and AIDS and died in London in 1994 just aged 29 but he was um a remarkable actor and from all accounts a remarkable man as well and fought tirelessly to carry on working until just before he died but also spent a lot of time supporting um raising money for other people who were um struggling with hiv aids illness and all in all a remarkable man that deserves to be remembered as far as i can see the pamphlet as well, I mean, you're talking about celebrating the life of Dursley McClinton, also talking about exploring the, the darker years prior to the partial legalisation in 1992. How important is, you, is it to you to actually bring this to sort of wider awareness through the, the, the medium of poetry? Is it something that you feel still needs to be appreciated more, perhaps, for, for those not in the know? Well, I think with everything we learn from history... We don't learn from history that's washed away or even denied, you know, and the the pamphlet also gives credit to the Manx government for their apology for the laws in the first place. And, you know, probably unheral- un, un, unknown anywhere else in the world. This year, of course, we had an apology for the from the police in the way in which they the way in which they implemented the laws and you know, my poems talk to a lot of the the evidence and the the, the uh, testimonies of people who experienced what was what was going on at that time. Not just not just in terms of the harassment of Alan Shea for putting his head above the parapet to to call for the legalisation of sex between men, but also far more insipid things that were going on in terms of the targeting of of gay men. And I mean, I was brought up in. Greater Manchester under the notorious James Anderson and his um, his sidekick was Robin Oak, who, of course, was imported from across was. into the Isle of Man in 1986. And that that heralded the, the start of the replication of the same tactics and uh, harassment, some would say persecution, of gay men in the, in the Isle of Man. And um, I think it's important to... To realise, you know, we there's a lot, a lot going on. I'm sure you're aware in social media at the moment around um, relationship and sex education and people throwing around the words abhorrent and we need to protect our children and all of these things, you know, and and um, you know that's a sign that these that that, that um, those behaviours, that bigotry, can can return as quickly as it as quickly as it disappeared. I was going to say exactly that. I mean, has do you think, have we improved? Have we just sort of swept things, as you say, just under a, a veneer of acceptability, whereas it's still, there's still a hatred in certain quarters bubbling or prejudice bubbling underneath the surface? Or do you think we really have moved forward as a, as a I suppose, as, as a humanity, as a sort of a race in the whole? Do you think we've actually made real progress or, like you said, are just sort of sidestepping things? I think the answer to your question is the two questions is yes and yes. Um, we've absolutely made tremendous progress. We've made less progress in the treatment of 
people who are trans we're seeing the the, the same sort of um tropes being cast around that 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 gay men and lesbians had in the 70s and the and the 80s but there's an enormous pro- progress i mean the other man should be proud going beyond the uk in 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 banning conversion therapy for people who are who are trans so the the laws of the laws have caught up and and in some cases extended beyond the uk but but of course there are still there are still pockets of bigotry there are still people who believe that despite the law of the land that they have the right to to um um exclude their children from being educated to be to, to value diversity and you know the, the truth of the matter is that 20% of lesbian and gay and bi young people attempt to commit suicide 40% of trans people young people attempt to commit suicide now that is abhorrent that is unacceptable and the fact that that um that, that queer kids experience bullying every single day in school and that includes people in the isle of man because i spent a lot of time listening to young people from the lesbian lbgtq youth groups of what happens and therefore we need to remember that this is about lives the people who took their own lives in 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 the, the late 80s and the early 90s you know that's still happening today at a lower level and unless we um do something to address it we're talking about people's lives not protecting children from having a chat with a drag queen we're talking about straight parents children bullying other kids we're talking about straight parents children taking their own lives that's why it's important always lovely to speak to simon i think he was on the island i saw him last anyway hosting the poetry slam this year if memory serves correct and as i say our chat was rather timely it seems we'll hear more from simon next week and also some of the poetry of course from the new collection and now as they say for something completely different we heard from the legion player steph gray a while back about their first new production in a while a bunch of amateurs you might have remember the film the show is taking place at the peel centenary center it opens tomorrow thursday the second director sonia cullen gave us an idea of the plot well, it's about um, an American superstar, Hollywood superstar, who actually is not getting the roles anymore, So, but he thinks that he should. And then he lands this role, fantasy in a way, <laughs> they're thinking in a little village uh, in, the, in the British Isles, they're thinking, oh, can we get a big superstar to star in our Shakespeare play? And uh, he arrives, but it doesn't all go the way he expected. Uh, being done under the auspices, uh, as you say, of the Legion place? It is indeed, yes. We were 90 years old last year. Uh, we didn't quite manage to have the big celebration we were planning for lots of things, sometimes related to hospital and <laughs> COVID and holidays and goodness knows what yeah, else. Yeah. So we've, we've, we pushed it forward to, or back, sorry, to March. So we're on March the 2nd to the 4th down at Peel Centenary. Um, Legion place has been going since um, 1932, originally started by the soldiers that came back from the Great War 
law who wanted to raise money for their colleagues. So they put on Journey's End at the Gaiety and um, history records that there were three sellout performances um, from which the Legion players formed originally with no women. No women allowed. Oh, but then shocking, eventually, shocking. shocking, shocking, shocking. But eventually, women were allowed to join. And of, of, you know, there's been so many great actresses and actors on Ireland, part of either the Legion players or the service players. Some amazing productions. You know, three and four productions a year. Um, so yes, that's that's the Legion players. We're still going. We're still raising funds and supporting the Royal British Legion. Check it out if you can. Great fun, great venue, and raising money for a good cause as ever, as Steph explains. Tickets, I believe, still available. You can get them online via the Peel Centenary Centre in person. I think at Celtic Gold in Peel. That's about it this week. Don't forget, if you want to hear anything again, go to maxradio.com, download the Spotlight podcast, listen where and when you want. Why not try it whilst skinny dipping in the Irish Sea in early March? Just check you've got waterproof earbuds. See you next week. Look after yourselves. And whatever you're doing, be creative about it. <laughs>